What has happened is, just like a smoker who has to chain smoke, what they're actually seeking are the hits of the nicotine and the tar and the dopamine that's being released. Once you get addicted to these little drips or large drips of dopamine, you then crave them. That was author and speaker Brad Huddleston making a comparison of the addictive nature of smoking and narcotics to digital devices. And we'll hear more from Brad as he helps parents to see the negative effects of technology on their children and offers advice to parents on how to draw the line and safeguard our children from the damaging impact of technology on the family and on family time. That's on Focus on the Family with Graham Schnell. And I'm Alison Schnell. Yeah, you know, Alison, we've experienced that in our own lives, just how easy it is for technology to invade our time, the time we spend together. And, mm -hmm. and while our kids are still young, they don't have their own devices, uh, we've already seen how they use our own phones and there's a... Uh, more and more demand, okay, can I play with your phone? Um, and then there's the TV, which is a technological mm -hmm. device as well. But yeah. it's not just about time and the time it takes up. There's obviously a whole lot more going on. Uh, and it's really great to have Brad Huddleston with us to explore that a little bit more. Yes, Brad and his wife Beth Huddleston live in the beautiful Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. Brad is a revivalist, an evangelist, and owns Brad Huddleston Productions, a full-service multimedia production company specializing in content creation for radio, television, the corporate and church environment, and the web. With degrees in computer science and Bible, Brad ministers around the world in churches, in public and private schools, retreats, camps, conferences, and hosts multimedia camps at various schools in Australia. He's also a frequent guest on television and radio programs and has been a guest and interviewed by Derek Watts on Carte Blanche in South Africa. Welcome, Brad. Yeah. Thank you. Welcome, it's an Brad. honor to be here. Well, let's jump right in. Your book is called Digital Cocaine. And so you're obviously drawing the comparison of technology and a powerful drug. Um, and that's bold, but you make a pretty compelling case. Let's uh, talk a little bit about that comparison. The comparison comes from brain scans and from neuroscience. It's not something that I'm using as a metaphor. This mm -hmm. is quite literal. Yeah. When you look at the brain scans from some incredible technology called fMRIs, you might, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with it, MRIs, yeah. but this functional magnetic resonant imaging, you can look inside of the brain. You know, you put the little suction cups on your head and... Mm -hmm. You can actually have people do things. They have people watch pornography. They have people do various activities, Google. Mm -hmm. And you can actually see the activity in the brain and what it's doing. Mm -hmm. You can scan the brain and see uh, what is going on in terms of addiction. Mm -hmm. It turns out uh, cocaine, for example, and this is why I named the book this, it's often neuroscience often compares digital addiction or Internet addiction disorder to cocaine addiction because when you look at the brain scans, the people who are addicted to technology – the same areas in their brain of anticipation of addiction light up mm. as cocaine addicts. It turns out that addiction is addiction, and it has to do with brain stimulation. Mm. When someone ingests cocaine, that is a stimulant, an extreme stimulant. And so the hook in the addiction is actually the cocaine that gets released in the brain. That's mm. what's causing the feeling of high. Mm. It turns out certain screen activities generate large amounts of dopamine. The difference is the delivery mechanism, instead of being the nose, becomes the eyes. Hmm. So the information goes into the eyes, straight into the brain, stimulates the brain, and 
the neurotransmitter dopamine gets released. Mm-hmm. So one person, one counselor and therapist was trying to work out how much video game playing, for example, would you have to do to generate the same level of dopamine as a line of cocaine? Mm-hmm. And he came up with the figure of two hours. Wow. So, you know, they're very stimulating first-person shooter games, even educational games. The brain doesn't give you a pass just because you're playing something that's not sinful or evil or whatever. The brain's being stimulated, period. So dopamine gets released with screen, certain screen activities, some more than others, and cocaine releases it, other drugs. And so the dopamine is the hook in the addiction. So it's not surprising now when you look at the brain scans mm-hmm. of people who get addicted digitally, their brain scans look similar and, or identical to cocaine addicts. Hmm. And when you say addiction, um, obviously my first thought goes to somebody who has a craving, has a, a strong desire to repeat that activity, um, would almost do anything to get back to that activity. Uh, would that be true of somebody who's addicted to technology or to this digital um, world? It sure would. What has happened is just like a smoker, who has to chain smoke or what they're actually seeking are the hits of the nicotine and the tar and the dopamine that's being released. Once you get addicted to these little drips or large drips of dopamine, you then crave them. But the addiction mechanism that has kicked in is actually a barrier that forms in the nucleus, around the nucleus accumbens of the brain. The nucleus accumbens is the pleasure center. That's where you're feeling the high. Yeah. You're feeling the, the, the pleasure. What happens is the dopamine saturates and the brain starts to fight back because you're getting too much. You need some dopamine. You need dopamine to learn. Mm. You need dopamine to feel pleasure. The problem is we like too much of it. We tend to be excessive about it. So when that happens, the excessive amounts get into the brain. The brain simply tries to push some of it out. It creates a barrier around Mm. the pleasure center. And that's resistance. We don't like. We like uh, to keep. The, the pleasure coming. For example, kids who are playing video games, I ask them in auditoriums all over. When you're playing video games at dinner time and your mom or dad says, hey, come to dinner, how many of you have ever said, five more minutes, five more <laughs> minutes? And they all raise their hand. They don't like to be cut off. And yeah. it's not just that competition of getting to the next level of a video game. It is that. But it's also a brain issue with chemicals. And that's where the abuse starts. The imbalance comes in when you can't put it down. So the, the addiction is the same as a drug addiction. Yeah. Um, I mentioned even in the opening just uh, how it's affected even our family. We've had mm-hmm. moments where um, I'll see Alison sitting on the couch and I'll go and sit next to her, but she's got her phone out. And because she's got her phone out, I'll take my phone out um, and I'll look at something, whatever it may be, Facebook or an email. Or, um, and she might have been just about to put her phone down, but then she looks and sees I'm on my phone. So <laughs> she opens something else new and, and then it's the same for me. I'm about to finish, but she's still in. Within, you know, half an hour goes by and we've been sitting on the couch next to each other, uh, but we haven't engaged in conversation. Um, and we're getting better at that. I think we've yeah, deleted yeah. some of those things um, off, our, off phone. our phones. Um, but we've seen the, the reality of that and how it can invade just family life. Yeah. Uh, are you seeing that? Um, talk into the marriage context uh, with all the travel you've done, all the mm-hmm. speaking you're doing into this topic. Uh, is that an issue within marriage? Very much so. The average age of a video gamer is 31. Wow. And those 31-year-olds have been playing video games an average of 12 years. Mm-hmm. So it started young. And those 
same people in that age group, their wives, mo- it's mainly a guy thing, although the, the ladies are catching up. Same with pornography. It used to be a guy thing. Now we're, you're approaching 50, 55% females looking at porn. So you're seeing a dramatic rise in all of these digital activities. Mm-hmm. But with the video gamers, for example, the wives of these 30-some-year-olds and 40-some-year-olds will come to me in tears mm-hmm. saying, my husband has checked out of this marriage. Now we live together. We're in the same under the same roof. But I don't know my husband anymore. In the extreme cases, and there are, and, and this is not common, but in the extreme cases, I run into uh, occasionally husbands who have become so addicted, just like a, a coke addict, they have quit their jobs to game all the time. So then that puts a financial burden on the wife to work. And uh, again, that's not as common, uh, but the regular thing is my husband is checked out. Mm. So it's not just a teenage thing; it's predominantly a thirty-something thing. So that's the pornography issue. Um, the Barner Research Group, I'm sure you're familiar with them. They were paid uh, recently or hired by the Proven Men Ministries to update the pornography statistics, and I published that in my book, Obtained the Permission. I think it's between 18 and 34. You now have 77% of churched men uh, looking at pornography fairly regularly. So these numbers continue to rise. And what is their main source? Their phones. So it's not the phone. I mean, I use the GPS to get here. And I think that the GPS has saved many a marriage. There's a good side to this technology. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It really is. Uh, you and I are corresponding uh, through text messages if I need to, if I'm lost and to get me. Look, come on. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah. It's helped me to mobile office that I am freed up to go around the world because I don't have a big staff. Can't afford it. I'm in ministry. But, be, but because of the cloud and cloud-based accounting and all this, we're able to do some wonderful things. That's not the issue. The issue is, is the entertainment. We are, as Dr. Archibald Hart says, if you're familiar with him, he's been on Focus on the Family a good he's bit. He's in South, South Africa. Africa. Yes, yeah. he's a scientist and a <laughs> clinical psychologist. I quote from his book, Thrilled to Death, quite a bit. Um, you know, we're numbing the pleasure center of the brain. We're overdoing it. And it's epidemic in children, especially the children whose uh, parents have given them these devices that I'm holding in my hand now and use them as babysitters. Yeah. They're being stimulated with chemicals, to be honest with you, and it is frightening. But I, I need to say, God did not cause our paths to intersect here at Focus on the Family for me to scare parents or to put them under condemnation because they probably bought the games. They probably introduced them to the homes. Mm-hmm. The reason why God has brought me here and caused me to have this platform and other platforms is because he loves us. Mm-hmm. And yes, we're overdoing it. Yes, we have changes to be made. But if we make those changes and not just be hearers of the word, but doers, meaning we have some turning around to do, we call that repentance, Mm -hmm. and we obey the Holy Spirit and find the good side of this technology Mm -hmm. and then put down the imbalances, it's as though God is holding out a big red reset button called grace, and he's saying, tap it, I'll help you. That's the message, really. But from God's side of things, he tells us in his word to pray without ceasing. He, he he built us to be intimate and to love him and to just be united with him. And from his side, he's hurt, I believe, because what we have done is transpose that onto screens. Mm. We're very intimate with these screens. That's why we'll spend 30 minutes uh, mesmerized and think nothing of it. And God is saying, I wish you felt that way about me. I wish it was that easy for you to just come and be with me and get lost in me where time goes away. I'm willing to give that to you. So really, at the essence of what I do is not the science. I use that to try to get the attention. I think God is. But at the end of the day, God is saying, I miss my people. Uh, Come come on back this way. That's the message of balance. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's an important point to make. You're not saying that 
technology is evil and we should yeah. you know put out a big call to say please go and destroy yeah. burn everything in the fire in fact like we used to do the you, albums we yeah, have a big barrel yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in fact turn off the radio right now and, and, <laughs> good point and if you're listening on the web shame on you yeah. <laughs> no just kidding um, so we we acknowledge that there's a lot of positive sure. technology yeah. um, and so you're not saying i have a computer all. science degree well, i love i love the stuff yeah. uh, i have a degree in multimedia nerdom. yeah of course yeah. yeah but i've also been burned by it yeah. I've been addicted to it. And yeah. uh, making, ironically, television shows for our regional division focused on the family contributed. <laughs> I thought, uh, sincerely, I thought, well, I'm, here I am making these television shows in my studio. I'm working for God. And I was. I wasn't looking at pornography. I was not. It's not that I'm innocent of everything, because certainly I sin like everyone else. But in this case, I'm serving God. So I thought, well, I'm immune. Yeah. Because I'm doing all this for God, yeah. and my brain still, even the youth grow weary. I mean, I still yeah. got tired and burned out because of it, doing good things. Too much yeah. of a good thing can become bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, in your book, you wrote, the choice is yours to make technology work for you or against yeah. you. That's right. So, yeah, can you just give us a little bit of advice on key areas that we could do that to achieve our balance, as you put it? Sure. Think of it in terms of producer activities and consumer activities. Mm -hmm. If you are producing things of value, like what we're doing here, that's a good use of the technology. If you are just consuming, mm -hmm. where your brain is inactive, but you're just taking in, you have squashed your creativity, mm -hmm. you are letting someone else think for you. And that's what's happening with children. They're, the creative side of uh, the development of their brain is being squashed. For example, in Silicon Valley, where a lot of this technology is developed, Many of the tech employees and tech executives from eBay, Apple, Yahoo, uh, etc., send their children to schools that have no technology at all mm -hmm. until the age of 12, nor do they have it uh, in high quantities in their own home for that very reason. They withhold it so that their brains can pass through the proper stages of development because they know, we know, that screens inhibit the modularity, the development of the brain, and so they wait until certain phases are finished growing before they, and then they introduce technology. Okay. So think of consuming where a kid will just sit there and play the games for hours on end. That's a consumer activity. Yeah. Producing activities, art would be good, but in limited quantities, things that you're creating of value. Yeah. Then when you think of balance, and I call it eye balance. I kind of gave it that, that term. Uh, we tend to think of scales in the old fulcrum. Remember that with little pans? Yeah. And at 50%, that's balance. And that's the correct way to think of it in that context. But when you're thinking of brain science – you have to think of it a little differently. You remember the word analog? Yeah. <laughs> just, just barely. <laughs> barely, okay. <laughs> well, those are just simply put, those are non-digital activities, playing yeah. board games instead of uh, games on the computer, climbing trees, breaking bones, and mm. as I say, uh, those sort of things. And then there are digital activities. Mm. When it comes to brain balance, where we are now, we're about, in a day's time, 80% digital. If the, if the left side of the, the scales are, are weighed down, that's digital. 20% is analog. Mm -hmm. In brain balance, what I have, the conclusion I have come to with all of my study and research, balance to the brain is not 50-50. Mm -hmm. yeah. Balance to the brain in a 24-hour period is 80% analog and 20% digital. Okay. Mm -hmm. So those are some general guidelines, which mm -hmm. means if we take, for example, the technology out of the bedroom, that is yeah. eight hours average there alone which we are disengaged with digital technology and then you can keep chipping away from there to get your scales uh, balanced the way your brain wants to be balanced does that make sense yeah yeah, yeah. i like what you said about producer and consumer because 
Will that help even, say, parents uh, trying to understand the games or the apps that their kids are using um, make good decisions there? So you said art. So there might be a, a, a app where you can create and color in. You're saying don't do that exclusively, but that's probably better than something that's just of pure entertainment value. Correct. And I, I even heard just recently a, a guy talking about his teenage son wanting Lego for for a birthday, and he said, "Well, that's great. That his son's wanting Lego rather than maybe video games, although he does play with them or play video games." But he said, "Now they've got an app for for Lego where you can build the Lego, and then you take it's you basically make a, a video um, taking pictures of the different scenes that you've created to make a, a video." Now, where would you put that in the spectrum of things? Would you say that's in the producing, it's creative, uh, or is that also going to have a harmful effect? It will have a harmful effect. Um, in education, there is a move in some places to integrate analog with, with the digital and doing things just like that, where you will start off in the digital world, but then to develop the other side of the brain, they get out here in the analog world and, and create. And in limited quantities, in my opinion, that's fine. Yeah. But let's back up just a little bit. The, the truth of the matter is... You cannot assume that anything is going to be safe. We're all wired, built differently chemically. Some people are more prone to addiction than others. Uh, people have anger issues for reasons we don't understand more than others. Uh, when it comes to technology, some people are affected more deeply by it than others. Mm. So what I recommend is that if your child uh, is, is exhibiting anger, mm. especially when you go to take the device away, there's your line. So you keep reducing the technology usage regardless of content until you can take that away and they think nothing of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For some children, uh, they, they shouldn't have it, period. Yeah. Now, it's not yeah. because you're being cruel or, you know, and, and, and they'll tell you, well, all my friends have it and all that. But you have to say, what is in the best interest of this child's emotional uh, well-being, neurological well-being? That's, yeah. That is your guide, guiding point, not what culture tells you, not what the mm-hmm. schools tell you. God did not give these children to the school system. He gave them to us. And so you, and a parent knows better than anyone else, the individual needs of that child and how they're going to react. But that, in my opinion, is the line. When you can't take it away without them blowing up, there's your line. So your your gauge is their reaction, their emotion uh, connected to to the device. Because obviously we, we don't have... Our, our MRI scans in the bedroom that we can quickly plug onto the kids and see how those brains are functioning. We've got to have another way of checking what's going on. Right. And so that's a great example. See how they respond. Yep. So when you say, hey, Nick, switch it off, if there's a massive outcry to switch off, um, that's not a good sign. Correct. They need to be able to willingly say, okay, I'm done. It's time to have dinner. It's time to go bath, whatever the case may be. Yeah. But the bigger culprit in all of this is multitasking. And, you know, I get asked all the time about the games and the pornography, and, and we should talk about that. But I'll tell you something that's deeper. And according to my research and, and you know, what I have really observed, we, we have changed in how we interact academically. Um, our grandparents would sit down with their maths book, English history, and they would do one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. With the introdu- introduction of technology, we now overcome boredom. We, we don't have m- very many moments of boredom anymore. The moment you get bored, you have something to stimulate a lot of dopamine. So a kid will sit down to do their assignments, and the average time that they get interrupted is two minutes. They, they'll study for two minutes, in other words, and then they're off to check Instagram, you know, Snapchat, Twitter, that sort of thing. That is a very – the neuroscientists, by the way, 
call it switch tasking Mm -hmm. because the brain cannot multitask. The brain is a sequential processor. The the trick is, or I guess the deception is, our brains can do that so rapidly. It gives us the illusion that we're getting a lot done at one time, but we're not. Our our proficiency, our efficiency, and our productivity actually decreases significantly. And that's why in many of the schools, if not most, who have introduced one-to-one laptop programs, the grades go down. And it's not necessarily the technology. It's how they're being encouraged to multitask. And so what we really need to do is is do one thing at a time. If you take multitasking away from a child, the inability to grab something the moment they get bored, you're going to see an emotional reaction there. Yeah. That's the danger sign as well. That That's, yeah. a, that's something else that you must look for. Yeah. Brad, um, you know, in South Africa, the schools have introduced tablets at various ages depending on the school and in your book you talk about how the the introduction of these tablets in schools in places like China and Korea has actually been thought to be so negative that they've removed them mm-hmm. am I correct, correct. and, and uh, my question is do you think that here in South Africa we might get to the same point where we're actually saying wow we we did this and it we thought it was going to be so great for learning but we're actually going to remove them we're going to take them out of schools or is it something that can really benefit for learning, but we just have to do it in the right way? I think parents out there perhaps are anxious about what is going to happen to their child who's now been sent off to school with a tablet. And yes, schools are protecting them, but the child now has their own tablet. Mm-hmm. Well, I have been in quite a number of schools in South Africa, more than I can count and I have been in prominent schools where you're famous for that are famous for introducing technology. Mm-hmm. And the reason I was there is because they see the the re- now I, I doubt the first year that they introduced it they would have me come in mm-hmm. because they were on the dopamine high themselves yeah. of, of introducing. <laughs> I'm I'm serious. Yes. They will many will admit that, mm-hmm. but it doesn't take but a couple of terms until they realize you know what there's not very much learning going on we can't control it. These these young, fragile, developing brains are not able to not multitask. They mm-hmm. can't focus on one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. So it's again, it's there. I'm going to say something that it may come across as a little um, controversial, and I don't mean to be. I'm just telling you the truth. Mm-hmm. The truth is what's is, to me is what's controversial, because you know political correctness is the way to go. <laughs> but I'm still on the side of Jesus, who is the truth. So I'm going to go with that. The truth is, the truth is. There was no research done prior to implementation of technology. It just seemed like a good idea. We'll save money by converting analog books into digital format. Kids don't have to carry heavy book bags yes. and on and on this went. And, mm-hmm. and there's truth in that. And I get that, yeah. especially in, in, in developing countries mm-hmm. uh, where money is a big issue. Mm-hmm. I get that. But then there's this pesky little thing called the truth. Cognitive abilities deteriorate when they leave analog books. That's the truth. There have been tests done now. So the problem is... This research that I'm bringing to you and I write about was done after implementation. So I'm not judging anyone. I got caught up into this tsunami of technology as well. Mm-hmm. We all have. What I'm saying is let's learn from that. And before we continue down this path, let's do research, figure out what works and what doesn't, and then implement based on known science. Does that make yes. sense? Yeah. So that's where I am in this. And we have a long way to go. Okay. Alison, the time has flown by. This has been incredibly insightful. 
Uh, but there's so many issues that we haven't touched on. And I think we, yeah. we really need to come back and look at some of the practical things that parents can do because that's the, the cry I'm hearing. No, don't stop. We need to know what are the solutions to this. Uh, so, Brad, would you stick with us and we'll cover some of those issues? I would be honored to do that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Let's do that. Thanks, Brad. It's been so good to have you with us today. And I'm certainly looking forward to having you back in studio tomorrow. Brad Huddleston may have caused you to sit up in your seat as you listened to the effects that technology can have on your child. Maybe you've experienced a bit of a reaction when you say, turn off the TV now, please, or you are having your phone confiscated for whatever reason it might be. We are called to parent well, and that may mean that you have to get tough about how much time your child is spending on their device. Brad's book called Digital Cocaine is informative and eye-opening as it replaces your confusion, uh, perhaps hesitance, and fear of the digital world with the facts that can make you and your family safer and more secure. If you'd like to order a copy of Digital Cocaine, please call us on 031-716-3300 or visit our website at safamily.co.za. And although we've been talking about the negative aspects of technology, we know there are also some wonderful benefits. For example, you can download the Focus on the Family Africa app and have access to this program and many others to listen to at your convenience and also share with others. So we do encourage you to do that. Uh, You'll find it in the Apple and Google stores. Just be sure to search for Focus on the Family Africa. I'm Alison Schnell for Focus on the Family Africa, and I hope that you can join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this program when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.